You didn't record our entire chess game for the podcast? What the yeah, fuck, Yeah, I know. Green? I was on the edge was of my plan. seat, and it was pretty good content. Legitimately! Legitimately, though, that was a really good, was good game, and you're, <laughs> you're memeing that it that it, you didn't enjoy it. <laughs> Being a spectator to chess is different than playing chess. I find it fun to be a spectator to chess. I mean, I like chess, it's just I kind of forget how some of the stuff works. Ruben and I did too, because um, he checkmated me without me he noticing. He confused the uh, queens for the kings. No, he didn't. Wait. The kings have crosses Wait, on top. Wait, I mean, you, you played yeah, the king the like king. the queen, is what I'm saying. No, I didn't. What? I never did. I moved the king one at a time out of harm's way constantly. Well, no, the queen's the one supposed Unless to move one at a time. No, the queen moves everywhere. No, it's the king. I literally no. just no. beat chess to the queen. Give me one second. No, it's the queen. No. We are not gaslighting. No, I literally played a fucking chess game on my phone that has it like that. And they're using different rules. Because the queen, the reason you want to get her, the enemy queen, out of the game quickly is because she's basically a super unit. She can move diagonals, she can move forwards and backwards. What the fuck? Like, she can the move way is it? What yeah, the fuck? What the fuck did I get him confused? It's probably just a different variation of chess. There's a lot of different, like, sub-style of chesses you can play. The one, the crazy, wacky one with, like, ten new units was one well, I know of that, but that's a fucking... So, weird. honestly, that's probably just it. It, it is. Because, yeah, yeah, the king's not meant to Every time I that. download an app, it literally tells me that the king's the one that moves in all the directions, and the queen's the one, for some reason. I mean, if you want to get semantic, the king can, but yeah. it's only one space. And he cannot yeah. put himself in danger. But yeah, I know the queen can move everywhere if there's nothing blocking her. That's why she and two rooks is really scary late game if your opponent doesn't have their rooks or their queen. Rooks are very, very good. Yeah, I like rooks. Yep, I love them. How I normally won chess games was with two rooks and a queen because you could just trap yeah. them pretty much. Because basically what you do is you just side them up. So you put yep. two rooks. Like, what I would do is I put two rooks, right? I'd say there's a king, right? Like, say there's a unit blocking the king in the front. Put two rooks in the on the side, right? Where the king can't go to either side. And then you put your queen right there in the front. And basically what it does is the queen takes that unit in the front of the king. And the king's checkmated. So what I would do is I would have the three on the side of the board. So the king can't go up or down. And then you move the queen in the middle. And the king can't move anywhere safe because he's going to get killed by a rook or a queen. So, yeah. And that's actually why pawns can be scary. That's why I was trying to do that shit with pawns. Because you can get yeah. multiple queens, according to some rules. That's fucking scary. I always love doing that. I mean, all the units are very useful. Like, the bishop yeah, like and the knight. Nice. They're very useful. Yeah, I liked how you used the knight in our game. That was pretty good. Yeah. I, I'm not good with knights, so, so I kind of wasted them, but... Knights are weird because they yeah, go Yeah, that's the thing power. that always trips me up. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I'm not good with them. Yeah, you can only go four... Four spaces and it has to be an L pattern. Right, bishops are good because they they can protect your flanks. Yep, I like bishops. They can minimize uh, movement. It's like playing the RTS for me. Yeah, kinda. Yeah, honestly, it is. Okay, are, uh, are we I ready? We kind of accidentally ended up talking about chess again. That's because chess is good, Kareem. It is a pretty good game. I, I like playing, but also I'm simultaneously too stupid and impulsive, so I kind of just like do whatever my gut's telling me. You can do that early game because that's what I did early game. For yeah. me, it's late game that matters, and you want to make sure. So I was trying to get Ruben into situations where I could take his shit and I wouldn't lose. Like, I, he might have taken one of my pawns, but now I have a knight able to take his pawn out, for example. Yeah, I'm, I'm usually good at taking out pieces, but I always end up, like, I always suck at check 
meeting. I always end up, like, drawing, which is annoying. So, that's why you want to keep the big units up. Like, uh, how Ruben used that knight to protect the rook, and how he was using the bishop. He was doing pretty good with that until I got my pawn to become a queen. And then we noticed he had moved his uh, knight, and somehow his rook was still right there facing me. You know what else is nope. stupid for you? Right. This is the Mystery Mead Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Ruben, and with me are my two co-hosts, Robbie and Green. Chess. Hello, I'm Chess. Chessington, the chess, of chess. 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 Listen, uh, our conversation today will be way more interesting than Chess. Chess. This is pretty interesting. Chess. Well, Chess doesn't have a jazz album, thrash metal, or folk, or the last video game OST of the month. That's true. That's true. So today we got some delicious albums. First up will be Nora Jones, Come Away With Me. And second will be Pink Moon by Nick Drake. And then third we'll have Load by Metallica. Oh, Load. 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 Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kareem's favorite album yeah, cover. We'll talking about Loads later. And then lastly, we'll have Clive Barker's Undying Soundtrack. Which is by Bill Brown. They yeah, don't make that publicly known, but he made it. Oh, oh, yeah. I, I'm sure Robbie's got a lot, big B. lot to say about it. Yes, we're both we're gonna, Kareem and I both. We're going to go on the softer side. We're going to interview Nora Jones. Come away with me. Oh, and you better watch out, Bob, because your young Davy Crockett is liable to grab one of those before he's even been served. And you can't blame him, can you? So Nora Jones is an American singer, songwriter, and pianist. She's won several awards for her music, and in 2012, she has sold more than 50 million records worldwide. So probably in you know 2022, she's sold way after that. She's won about nine Grammys. She was ranked 60th on the Billboard magazine. This in 2007 chart. So she's pretty influential and she's kind of a mix. She's a fusion of jazz, country, blues, folk, and pop. So she's very influential. She's been, you know, just around the world. And I'm surprised I don't really hear about her so much now because I, I she's a very great artist. But, anyways, we're going to start with her debut album, Come Away with Me. This released in February 26, 2002 on Blue Note Records. And the composition for this was it is an acoustic pop album that features Jones supported by jazz musicians. And I'm going to list the jazz musicians because I feel like they should get credit. Kevin Brett, I'm sorry if I mess up some names. Bill Frissel, Frissel, Adam LeVay, Adam Rogers, and Tony Shear on guitar. Sam Yahil on organ. Jenny Shimon on violin, Rob Berger on accordion, and Brian Blade, Dan Reiser, and Kenny Wollison on drums. So she had a whole ensemble, and it incorporates a lot of blues and jazz, folk, soul, and country. I think it really is heavily on the jazz. I do hear a lot of folk in it, too. Country? I don't know. I guess I do hear a little bit about country. There's uh, some of it. Yeah. At least yeah. in songs Cold, like Cold Lone Heart. Star and Nightingale. Yeah, and Cold Heart is by Hank Williams. The album includes Josen's versions of The Nameless, The Nearness of You by Hoagie Carmichael and Coco Heart by Hank Williams. And Hank Williams is a country artist. But I never knew that actually was a country song because it's a pretty good song. It sold over 27 million copies worldwide as of 2016. They received a Grammy Award for Album of the Year Best Pop Vocal Album. So this this is a very serious album. A lot of people freaking enjoyed it, apparently. <laughs> I, I I didn't really know a lot about Nora Jones. I've heard a few of her songs, but I never really looked into her. Uh, so just going to the album, I enjoyed it. It's a very nice sounding album. I know it, it can sound sad at times. I, I feel like I feel calm. 
And I really like a lot of the acoustics. Really, I enjoy her voice a lot. It's like fucking candy for the ears. I'm serious. It really is for me. I enjoyed it so much. Um, but I would like to hear some of this. I enjoyed it probably more than you two did, though not much more. It wasn't a bad album. I, I kind of feel like it worked. She has a... This may not make sense. She has a softer voice, but it's also kind of smoky in a way. And so a lot of the song, it just felt like an older New York to me in a way. I don't know. I, I associate jazz with New York normally, except Lone Star, which felt like drinking Broadway music kind of, and it's like called Texas. Broadway. Yes, Broadway. That works. I do think it kind of started to drag towards the end and I don't know. There are some songs that feels like she could have cut out because there's some songs that just feel like they're the exact same shit. Like fucking One Flight Down and I've Got to See You Again and then The Long Day Is Over just feels like filler. The Nearness of You is okay though I would have not made it the last song in the album. I probably would have made that Nightingale or Shoot the Moon. Overall, I do think it was a good album, though. I don't really have many more complaints outside of those, honestly. Yeah, I, I, I like... I mean, I don't... Because I don't really listen... <laughs> I probably did rate it lower than you guys, but I, I, I did enjoy it. I think this wasn't, like, bad from start to finish, and I it's kind of crazy how much this sold, but I, I do really, I dig this. I can see why people really enjoyed this, and I, I guess it's kind of the more jazzy elements in it, but I, it kind of just makes me think of, like, a lounge like singing like that sort of vibe to it and i think she's a pretty good vocalist and like as a debut album i think this is pretty fucking good you know she was in ted right in ted yeah she was in ted <laughs> yeah no i'm not i'm not kidding she was in ted and um she they were in a concert of hers and uh, apparently ted knew her i don't know how uh teddy bear knew or jones i haven't seen that movie in forever. apparently yeah. <laughs> An interesting fact, so her song, Don't Know Why, it won Song of the Year, Record of the Year, and Best Female Pop Vocal Performance. It was a no-joke kind of song, and that's the song that actually got me onto this album. So I could see why. I mean, it's a very well-composed song. But going on to the ratings, I'm going to rate it, actually, probably a 7 out of 10. The only reason I'm going to rate it a 7 out of 10 is because uh, I would like to hear more from her if we review her. Uh, I'll probably hear her on my own anyway, because I enjoy a lot of her albums. But there are some times where it does kind of drag on, and you kind of just kind of numb. You're like, uh, and you kind of just want to listen to something else sometimes. Uh, but I, I think overall, it's it's very good. Uh, I'll give it a 7. I, I don't hate it, because again, I think it's really good, but am I going to listen to it again outside of a few tracks? I mean, I like don't know why I like Turn Me On. I like Lone Star, but I don't think I would go back to it again, really. But I do think this was good, and I do want to see more of her work. So I, I think seven's fine. So I'm going to piss cream off and give it a decimal. Uh, I actually thought it was an 8 out of 10, honestly. I thought it was overall enjoyable. Yeah, it gets kind of me in a boring way and drags on, but I don't think it's a bad. I think it's more so it just, you start to kind of tune out to the instrumental more than anything else, and I think that's okay for the most part. But I can't really give it above an 8, I feel like. I think that's fine. I think that was kind of part of my problem. So, um... What's the overall rating? Well, it's a 10! No, it's a 7.3 out of 10 mystery meat sticks. <laughs> God um, damn um. it! Yeah. It's hard to resist the tantalizing aroma and taste appeal of a sizzling hot dog. The nice part of it is there's one waiting for you right now 
at the refreshment stand. All right, are you guys ready to hear about Nick Drake? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready. Yeah. Okay, so first a fun fact about Pink Moon. We were actually supposed to review this album months ago, back when we reviewed MF Doom. And I asked these two dorks what they wanted to listen to, because I had those at the time as my choices. And they went with MF Doom. So Pink Moon has kind of constantly come up in my, how I determine what albums to review. Consistently, like, it's almost just trying to make me review it. And we finally are reviewing it. This is Nick Drake's third and final album. And because of that, I'm not going to start with the his beginning. I do think we'll return to him later. I want to review his other two albums. Nick Drake was an extremely talented man. He was an extremely uh, smart man. However, he struggled constantly with the mental illness. He was extremely depressed. He Pink Moon released in 1972, right? It didn't get any acclaim. It didn't really get anything. Critics essentially wrote it off, claiming that outside of Parasites and Things Behind the Sun, that those were the only two that stood up at all and that uh, Drake needs to stop quoting and quote, acting mysterious and get something organized. So he uh, didn't actually get the credit he deserved until 1999 when a Volkswagen commercial with the song Pink Moon in it bumped him into fame. That said, he was dead by then. Again, this album released in 72, Nick Drake died of an overdose, probably suicide, in 1974, towards the end of the year. After the release of the album, he had become more asocial, more distant, because he was isolating, because he was upset, because, you know, he had all these contemporaries who had gotten fame, and a lot of them weren't as good as him. The guy who discovered him, who was his producer, Joe Boyd, however, had noted that they had started to work on a fourth album with another guy named John Wood. However, Boyd had been taken aback often in the studio with how angry and bitter Drake sounded. Because, again, Drake was pissed because he had all this talent, he had all these smarts, and he was getting nowhere whatsoever in his life. And, you know, his performance suffered for it. They had to overdub his voice separately over the guitar. However, when they had him return to the Sound Technique studio, it supposedly made him happy again, and his mom recalled being thrilled about that because, I mean, Drake had been living in her house for the last two years, more or less on the verge of suicide and on antidepressants. Really, what it seems like at the time was his life was kind of going towards the end. Someone who was the closest thing to a girlfriend he ever had, Sophia Ride, was essentially going to end their friendship or at least take a break from it because she couldn't cope anymore. So she had asked her some time apart and then on November 25th, Drake died. His family and friends tend to dispute it being a suicide with Boyd believing that he had taken so many antidepressants in an attempt to maintain his positivity and hope for the future because there were plans of for him to move back to London to restart his career. However, of course, that didn't happen. Boyd just preferred it, believing that, instead of believing that his friend had given up. So, Pink Moon is a pretty, actually, depressing album, because, and it's not really obviously depressing, like, you know, Bring Me the Horizon would be. It's much more subtle. Like, Pink Moon really isn't a song you should put in a commercial, because this song is about death. That's what the Pink Moon is. A lot of these songs really have some kind of depressing meaning behind them. Place to Be is kind of about how the world changes as you get older and how the colors are less vibrant. Road is a song about fame and it's showing Drake is disgruntled to, to, because again, his contemporaries are becoming famous. They're not necessarily even as good as him. You know, like, I mean this isn't a diss, but it is. The Sex Pistols are somehow called one of the best punk bands of all time and I heard one of their songs and chimpanzees could fucking play better. 
I swear to God. Anyways, <laughs> Witch Will is a song about his feelings. It's about the difficult situation he's navigating as he wrote and recorded the album. Horn was just an instrumental, but it's very melancholic, which fits the rest of the album. Things Behind the Sun, we don't really know what it's about, but it's essentially about darkness behind the light. Um, so take from that what you will. And then No is another song we don't have the meaning of, but we believe there's two speakers in it. One loves the other, and the other speaker just doesn't give a damn. Parasite is really one of the only songs on here where Drake is outright, you can tell it's depressing, because he compares himself to a parasite in the song. Free Ride, I didn't really get necessarily, I didn't really see any meaning interpretations for it. So it, sound, it could be another depression one, but it also kind of makes me think of the hippies in the 60s. And it's also possibly about kind of seeing the real version of people. Harvest Breed is a song about human life using flowers as a metaphor. And essentially, the idea is you are trying to cling to something because once the flower, you hit that ground, you're dead. So the idea is you're trying to cling to something or you're going to die alone. And then right. From the Morning is a song about how life is nothing but a game compared to the beauty of nature. So this is a pretty heavy album once you kind of get into it and, like, look into this thing. Because this is basically Nick Drake's final anything. Because there's no posthumous albums. We have no idea what material he recorded for a fourth album. We've never heard it, as far as I know. So um, what were your guys' thoughts? Well, I was just going to say, you know, unfortunately, that's a lot of kind of like that happens a lot. As you can see, like we've talked about before with other artists, um, they shit happens, you know, and a lot of times they're really talented people. A lot of times they're really creative people and shit happens and they end up dying before, you know, they could maybe not really reach their potential. Maybe they already reached their potential. It was just no one else really appreciated them at the time. You know what I mean? You know, there's there's been many artists that have died without people even liking their shit until years later, you know? What I think is especially depressing here is, and I'm not trying to blame him for not being able to get into the music industry, a lot of it is luck. Because, you know, I'm not going to say that, you know, failures get success. They necessarily don't. And I don't even believe in it here the problem was connections. I think for Drake, the problem could have been, I don't really know the 70s music landscape. It could have been because folk wasn't able to break into the mainstream. It could have been because his music wasn't dumb enough maybe to digest for the mainstream. But the fact of the matter is, it's just extremely depressing that he dies in 72 and people only learn about him because of a car commercial for a fucking Volkswagen 27 years later. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Uh, it, it really sucks because this album is really good. I, I did like it. I'm not the biggest into folk music, but I, I think the critics didn't know what the fuck they were smoking. I, I think this was good from start to finish. I genuinely didn't really have anything in here that I would have skipped. I, I, I do like Parasite and Pink Moon the most in this album, but I do think the rest of these were also pretty enjoyable. And I, I didn't want to... Uh, I, I like the album art, but I, there's also a sad story with that. For his other albums, they usually did pictures of him, and they were going to do that for Pink Moon, but the problem was that, I, I guess, um, well, going off of the stuff I was I was reading, uh, and the information I had, that, like, his, kind of, like, his appearance and his state at the time, they, they kind of just decided it wasn't really working out, and then it wasn't going to be, like, good to, like, I, I guess to use, quote-unquote. I, I don't know how else I would put that. The, the art that they did use, it, it was made by uh, a friend of his sister's, and, and I think it's fine. The idea 
that they kind of had for it. That they really only had like the idea of like the pink moon to go off of, and that's kind of what we have here. And it's it's interesting, but I I don't really have much to say on that. I, oh. I actually wanted to add on. I think in the 70s, he died really early in the 70s. And the thing is, with music, it was really shifting at that time. Um, because you would hear it, like, the 60s had a punk sound. And when 72, like, 71, like, that was when, like, the 70s ex- experimental kind of stuff happened. You know, when Black Sabbath came in the 70s, you had Aerosmith came out in the 70s, you know, you had a lot of harder kind of rock. Whereas the 60s didn't really have, like, I wouldn't say that it really had. So 70s was shifting, and maybe the industry was shifting too. Maybe they were trying to be more commercialized. You know, they were trying to find the next Beatles. You know, Aerosmith got super fucking huge. You know, like for people that were probably in Massachusetts at the time, you know, they were probably like, fuck yeah, I want to be the next Aerosmith. You know what I mean? And maybe managers were like that too. And he probably just didn't get a break because I, I do believe in this time, in this in this day and age, I believe that it is still hard to break into the music industry, but it's not as hard as it used to be because you can basically promote yourself. I mean, there's been many platforms where you can make your own music. You can be your own producer. You don't need a producer. You don't need a sound technician. You don't need any, anybody. Like, if you have the just the determination, you can produce your own music and promote your own music. And there's been many people that have made money off of that. You know, there's been many YouTubers. Like, if, if you go on, you go online and you search up bands, like, there's tons of bands. A large selection of bands, a large selection of groups, a large selection of different artists. And they're all existing at the same time. You know what I mean? Or, you know, a good chunk of them are existing at the same time, at the same moment, and they're all doing their thing, and they're all finding it a way. And I think it's because the because of that, you know, because people can now just do it on their own, whereas back in the 70s, it was harder. You know, you had to get a producer, you know, or you had to have a, a manager because you didn't know the connections or you didn't know how to talk to people or stuff like that, you know, it was way harder. Right. So I'm going to say this, and it might be kind of a hot take. I do think today it's probably easier to get into the music industry because, again, it is easier to make those connections. You may not know how to talk to people, but it'd be easier to get your shit to them. Um, Really, what it is is money, and yes, you need some talent. I do believe that most of the current big music artists have some kind of talent, whether it's a business talent, it's something with music, or whatever. Like, for example, Soulja Boy was, this isn't a fucking joke, was kind of equivalent to a marketing genius at the time. He took control of the online network of, like, MySpace and shit, and he just pumped shit out. And that's why people uh, paid attention and got into him, is because he showed people that you could succeed with rap online using only the internet as, like, your distribution. Pretty much. That said, back on Drake for a second, I do want to note, so his first two albums, Five Leaves Left and Brighter Later, were produced by Joe Boyd, but Pink Moon was produced by John Wood. At first, Nick Drake had apparently wanted to produce this album himself, but he apparently decided to then... So Wood had been the sound engineer, and while he was still doing the engineering, he did also act as a producer for this one. Drake was proud of the album. According to someone who knew him, he never wrote when he was sad. Um, Kelly Calliman of Brighter Music, that he never wrote 
wrote when he was sad. He couldn't. He was incapable of writing or recording while he was depressed. So what I think ultimately occurred was he released this album he's proud of, like he was with the other two, and it just didn't do as well as he had hoped. Another thing I want to note is before that commercial, there were covers of Nick Drake's songs. In 1992, Lucinda Williams covered Witch Will on her album, Sweet Old World, and an alternative rock band, Sebado, covered Pink Moon on their EP, Sebado vs. Helmet, in 1992 as well. So, yeah. That's cool. Before you told me of all that, I didn't really get anything of it that much. But now that you were telling me some of the songs and the meaning, it kind of clicks. You know what I mean? You kind of threw, threw me for uh, a loop there. I did not do my description to make Drake. I'm kind of always excited just to hear about it, but like that is really sad. So really personally, now thinking over it, I think this album is pretty good. It's very sad for what happened to him. But honestly, I don't really have much to add to this. What I just said, it was very sad that he left. You know? He probably, yeah. Maybe, you know, if he was alive, he could have had, you know, a maybe more successful album than next you never know uh, it, it's always a gamble and especially a gamble in the 70s you know like many bands were just living off just scrap you know before they had that one album that propelled them you know to get a lot of fans and get people to listen to them get them gig and get their money rolling yeah so but to go off with just start off with the rating so i'm gonna rate it an eight out of Honestly, I think this is actually probably one of the best albums of the 70s, and I can see why it's considered a album that is integral to folk. I have listened to a little bit of other folk music. I don't know if I've seen Nick Drake's influence in them. I would have to go back and check, but I'm going to rate this a 10. I, I was going to give it a 7 initially, and the more I kind of learned about it, I'm going to give it an 8. I'm only giving an 8, only because I want to listen to more of his work. I want to see uh, what else he had, because uh, I'm kind of interested in them now. And I do think I could see myself like if we did go back and like talk about like oh which ones could we would we rate differently I I could see myself giving this a ten I think he's definitely deserved uh, a lot more than what he got and it's a shame that we won't ever be able to see what else he could have done so that's an eight point seven overall mystery meat sticks. Hey, Kareem, tell us about Metallica. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, let's talk about Metallica. Uh, okay, so Metallica is an American heavy metal band, and they formed in 19... 19- thrash metal? Well, there's it's kind of interesting, because, like, yeah, they, they, they were, like, a thrash metal early on, and then, like, this album was kind of a transitional album in, in some sort of way. Like, they had more elements of heavy metal, but they do have the roots in thrash metal we'll talk about that later it was started by james hetfield he was the vocalist guitarist and lars ulrich he was the drummer and we also have kirk hammett as lead guitarist and robert trujillo as the bassist and uh oh also fun fact our our good friend our uh, good buddy of the podcast dave mustaine was part of metallica before uh they kicked him out i won't get too much into it but uh he had some like issues with hetfield and ulrich and some other like self-aggressive behavior and all this stuff i i the fact of the matter is he got kicked and virgin mustaine versus chad hatfield <laughs> yeah and uh this is their sixth studio album load 
and it came out in 1996. And apparently this is their longest studio album, 79 minutes long. I don't know if that's still true. I, I think they're still putting out music. And this was actually pretty successful for a couple of weeks. This was number one on the Billboard 200 chart. And uh, I did talk about this a little bit. This was kind of when they started doing more hard rock than the like thrash metal they were kind of known for at that point. So it was like successful commercially, but also a little controversial with kind of how they changed up the style. And there's another album I do want to talk about that Metallica did at some point that's also kind of this other like changing up their style. Because Metallica does like doing that time and time again. They're, they're really, they're, they're down to switch up their style with whatever they feel like what, 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 let's just get into it what, what, what do we how do we feel about load they were one song away from uh, a look at this photograph type of situation so actually i would actually i would argue they have many songs that are in that category i'm gonna be saying that nickelbacks is better at least the nickelback i have listened to in the 2000s is better than this fucking album i know that's a hot take i don't really care it's i okay so from with respect to metallica i really like a lot of their early albums and there's later albums that i like from them and there's their songs that i like from them load is just not really my my take it's just kind of it's kind of generic honestly for me I don't know, it just doesn't for me like i don't i when i hear metallica i hear like the more thrashy kind of metallica and i like that metallica. i mean that's just that's just a style that i like and no one should be put down because they like later metallica you know what i mean i liked six tracks on it that's it. i'm not sure if they stood out that much those tracks are until it sleeps king nothing hero of the day bleeding me uh wasting my hate and mama said i actually think of these songs mama said king nothing and until it sleeps are standouts that said, most of this album, I listened to it, and it sounds like you just had an AI, like you put into some kind of weird music maker AI thing, and you told it to make generic fucking metal. <laughs> I, I could see what okay? you And I say that as someone who, you know, I don't like Metallica's copyright bullshit, but I don't mind Metallica. I adore the song of Fuel, That's you know? I know they can make good music. It's just this album is not good. It's generic as shit. Yeah, there's definitely some tracks on here I'd probably skip. I, I really like King Nothing. I like Hero of the Day. I don't know why, but Eat My Bitch is always in my head at some point. I don't... That's the one I've definitely... God, like, that was such a painful I've, song. I've played that too many times. I don't know why that one hits hard in my brain. King Nothing is a pretty song. Yeah, that's song. one that like basically got me into this album. Like I was like... I, I listened to that, and I was like, this is pretty good. And, I, and it, that's... what That... It's probably one of my favorites on this. That's why I even checked out this album. And I like the the more like blues and country kind of influences that are going with this album. I like James Hetfield's delivery in general. I, I don't listen to that many Metallica albums like completely, but I do know they have like some pretty good songs in general. I, I like Metallica. Uh, let's let's talk about the album art. Ruben, what do you think the album art is? It's flames. That's what I think. That oh no, it's not flames. It's like lava. Yeah, it's it's flames it was... and lava, right? Haha. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's no, it's <laughs> it's, it's flames. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so here's a fun fact. Um, the album oh, art oh, okay. is uh, was made by Andres Serrano, and it's called uh-huh. Blood and Semen 3. You want to know why it's called Blood and Semen 3, Ruben? Would you like to know? What? Why? It's because <laughs> he used a mixture of his own uh, nut and blood and then put it on sheets of plexiglass and took a picture. That That's what we're looking at. Wow, Where, that's um, almonds in there? Cool. <laughs> we're, uh... We're done. Yeah, yeah. I had to look that up the other day, and it was We're, great. Yeah, I, listen, I, to I, be I fair, Hetfield called it stupid and was like, yo, my bandmates are dumbasses. <laughs> he was the only voice that in the league is, um, in that. Yeah. That is really gross. It is. It is really yeah, gross. Yeah, because I thought it was lava too, yeah, Ruben. That's why I thought it, and then Kareem brought that up, and I'm like, what the fuck are you? Oh, God, yeah, I see it, it now. Or it could have been, been, like, oil. Yeah, I... It, it sucks because well now um, I see now I see the sperm and I see the blood I, and I hate yeah, I it. Genuinely what can't the fuck? even look at it. I, like I, I was gonna. I feel I feel like this is violation. Yeah. Of my. Of, of yeah. yeah, yeah. I felt and, pretty yeah. violated when Kareem posted in mystery yeah, me in I'm the general chat. Metallic. Yeah, I, I, Ruben, you don't know how much I was gonna actually gush about this cover because I thought it was cool. It was again another reason why I thought this album was like sick and I wanted to check it out. And that, now I just knowing this, it's like <laughs> I can't look at it in my favorites list anymore. You know what I mean? So um, do we want to go in the ratings. Uh, let me put a couple more thoughts on here. I. I don't normally mind Hetfield's delivery, but outside of the songs I actually kind of like, I get really tired of him doing the exact same fucking delivery with the same fucking growl and more or less the same damn lyrics. Like, you know, it works on Fuel, but I don't want them to keep making goddamn Fuel. I love that song, and they and I'm not saying that's what they tried. I'm just saying that, you know, the house jack belt, 2 by 4 ain't my bitch. Those weren't good songs. In my opinion, bleeding me. Poor Twisted Me was just stupid. And I didn't like Thorn Within. My rating is going to be surprisingly high. It's a 5 out of 10. All right, Ruben, what are you, what are you rating it? My final thoughts. It's a all right album from Metallica. And I personally enjoy the riffs in it. I think Hammett is a great guitarist. But uh, for me, it was just kind of like a Metallica album. So I'm going to give it about a uh, 5. All right. And uh, I, I was going to give this an 8 because... I'll probably listen to this again. I I won't really deny that there's definitely some weak tracks on here. I still really like this album, but and I normally would not do this because usually, well, you know, the cover of an album, like you know, I shouldn't hold that against a fucking album. But I the the, the fact that this fucking it was one of my favorite album arts, you know, like <laughs> knowing this, I, I have to drop it to a five. God, it, it, it's just, you're basically betrayed. Yeah, the, the, the betrayal, oh. betrayal. Disgusting. Straight up now. I, um, <laughs> I can't look at it. What's your rating? You gave it a five. Yeah, five. The overall mystery meat stick rating for Metallica is a five out of ten. Yeah. Uh, yay. Five so also and remember, they're covered guys, in blood and almonds. Remember, guys, if you're determined enough, you too can sell a picture of your blood and semen. <laughs> and it can end up on an album. Yeah. You too can end up on a Metallica album cover. Yeah, great. The moment of truth comes when the stakes are turned. All right. Okay. So gamer talk. Gamer time. Do you want to start talking about Clive Barker's Undying Kareem, or do you want me to? Because we both played this game. Uh, you probably know, rem- know and remember more than I do. Barely. 
but I'm going to go over who made it because that requires a little bit of digging. Right. So Bill Brown, a man who has worked on quite a few different soundtracks such as Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six, Rogue Spear, Rainbow Six Three, Lineage 2, uh, Lady Death, The Motion Picture, Command and Conquer Generals, Devil's Tomb, Dark Prophecy, uh, Windows XP Music, apparently, Quake 2. Yeah, so he's done a lot of video game and just, it looks like, film, album soundtracks. Yeah, so I'm actually and this is one of them. He has done recent stuff. Yeah, there was like a movie in 2020 that apparently he did a soundtrack for. Oh, oh, cool. Yeah. So now I'm going to tell you about Clive Barker's Undying and why it's much, much better than Clive Barker's Jericho. For starters, you can actually play it. It's not broken. And the, the story is not a pile of shit. So Clive Barker's Undying is an FPS game. It has an ambience similar to RPG games. Ruben noted that when we were listening to it, that it sounded like RPG music, and it does. It's a horror adventure game, and it takes place in Ireland. It has to do with all this spooky, occult, mystery bullshit, and this family trying to attain a um, eternal life by killing each other and you. It was supposed to get a sequel. It was supposed to be a multiplayer, but it was pretty rushed. So, yeah, it was announced at E3 2000. It was released in 2001 on Microsoft Windows and then on the Mac in 2002. And it didn't have multiplayer, no co-op, no online play. It was supposed to, but the time constraints meant that it was going to be a post-release patch. And guess what? That post-release patch never fucking came. <laughs> it's so, coming out wrong. Um, any day now. <laughs> well, day. you know we why it didn't hope. come out? Why? Because this fucking game sold terribly. And so EA and Brady Bell also decided, you know what? We're not going to make a, a console version, which we were going to. We're not going to do that multiplayer patch. We're not even going to make a sequel. So yeah, overall, I think it's a good game. I like the soundtrack. It reminds me of another game called Knox, which <laughs> um, EA killed that one too. <laughs> Thanks, EA. <laughs> Anyways, um, fuckers. We I, I think Summoner, though. What? We have Summoner. Yeah, Summoner. That's the game we gotta get. Oh, oh, there's a Summoner too, Ruben? Oh, wait, there it's isn't. It's coming soon. <laughs> Fuck you, EA. It's um, coming soon, okay? <laughs> they got a Summoner. Yeah, yeah, so is a Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, I, I can bitch about Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines You later. know, I'm, I'm going to um, say, I always like video game albums a lot uh because a lot of it sounds pretty epic and this album didn't really like i don't think it like skimped on it i think it sounded pretty good production wise and everything like that i think it sounded great so here's another thing i'll say about the game it's honestly outside of being kind of buggy and confusing a lot of the time because it's clear it was rushed the story is actually interesting because there's tra time traveling, it sort of works. You go to another dimension for a little bit, it kind of works. Kareem and I mostly played it with God Mode because half the time it's fucking annoying. Yeah. It's not difficult in a dip in a fair way. It's difficult in a I-want-to-rip-my-eyes-out way. Hilariously, God Mode broke one of the bosses because he wouldn't attack us, but I mean, that's okay. Um, We fixed that. Anyways, it's still interesting because it also strange. uses a, a lot of Celtic mythology in it. And you go into, uh, you know, each member of this Covenant family who, you know, are evil bastards. You're still going to walk away with a lot more questions and answers. There are a couple cliffhangers with this game because, again, they intended to have sequels. Clive Barker, if you don't know who the hell he is, and if you were born after 2001, I highly doubt you know. He's a writer of a lot of horror novels and shit like that. So his writing is actually pretty good. He's not had a lot of video games because, generally speaking, they're not the best. He has had five, including a cancer a title that we only know exists because of an Adam Sandler movie showing gameplay. Oh my god. Uh, so yeah, and that's Clive Barker's Demonic. You can hear all about that 
around um, elsewhere. I and mean, don't play Clive Barker's Jericho. It sucks. Um, I know so, about yeah. Clive Barker. I highly because doubt. Why? Born after 9-11 because I barely know about him outside of this. Oh, I mean, he's... He has tons of fucking books, dude. He's on par with, I would say, like, Tom Clancy. Because Tom Clancy even has uh, games. No, but Tom Clancy's games and books have sold far, far more. That's true. Like, I'm looking at Clive Barker's books. I have not heard of any of these, dude. I've heard of Tom Clancy games and books. Rainbow Six Siege, the one currently big, is Tom Clancy. But Clive Barker, I mean, yeah, he has a lot to his name, but it looks like he's mostly been busy, you know, in the 80s, 90s and 2000s. He has some stuff in the 2010s. He has a Hellraiser book, but I don't know how... Oh, Ruben's correct. Ruben's correct. He's behind Hellraiser. So they oh, might yeah. know who he is. Forgot about that. It might, but yeah, in short, I really liked the soundtrack. I wish the game could get a remake. And, you know, I shat on Jericho, but I do think Clive Barker should make another video game. His brain has good ideas. Yeah, I I mean, it would be pretty interesting. And I do like this. I, I, all right, I gotta fucking, I gotta lay this down. I'm calling you out, Bill Brown. I know you used one of the tracks from Jurassic Park Trespasser in this soundtrack. Right! We found that out! <laughs> oh my god, I forgot about yeah. that! Oh yeah, we're shit! Calling you out, motherfucker. Oh my god! <laughs> that was the yeah, you used, yeah, and it's in the later part of the game, which, when you play the game, when I say it's clearly rushed, it's because also the later part of the game is worse. Yeah. Actually. Um, I, I will say again, in, well, not again. In his defense, though, I think the track does work for the area. I think it was in Eternal Autumn, right? Yes, it was in Eternal Autumn, and you basically fight um, what we thought at the time looked like African stereotypes, which apparently aren't on further um, look. You fight cavemen, and you fight annoying birds. Yeah. And then you fight the last daughter of the Covenant family, and she's extremely underwhelming because she's the one that's the most boring. Yeah. So, yeah. But, uh, yeah, credit to Bill Brown, though. Like, I, I think he did... He did choose a good track to use for that so i'd you know i'll give him shit (laughs) that's a joke but it fits hey just to fit in another joke if clive barker was a dog his name would still be clive barker shut the fuck up shut up you know if he was a cat his name would be clive climber (laughs) okay so i'm gonna give this album a 10 out of 10 because i i'm nostalgic for this game weirdly yeah i'm gonna have to give it a 10 i'm gonna give it a 9 Wow. Wait, really? Yeah. Okay, why are you giving it uh, yeah, not a 10? Yourself. Uh, the only reason I'm not going to give it a 10 because um, at a certain point, it does sound kind of samey to a lot of other different... Did you hear the God of War soundtrack? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty good. But I'm going to give it a 9 because I don't think it... uh, Fine, fuck it. I'm going to give it a 10. Oh my god, my bullying worked. My bullying Um, worked. I hope Hellraiser comes upon you all. Well, Bill Brown's gonna come and break into your house now, Ruben. I mean, I hope Ron Perlman uh, shows up to meet me. Okay, <laughs> so that's... Ron Perlman show up to meet you? Because isn't he Hellraiser? No, he's Hellboy. No, he's Hellboy. Oh, right, Hellraiser's a Cenobite. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, these yeah. shits today won't know who the fuck Hellraiser is. Anyways, I'm sorry there... for Clive Borker. That's his other name. That's his Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Shut up, Ruben. They're, they're goddamn millennial parents are too fucking offended by uh, fucking Cenobites to show them what the hell a Cenobite is. And we don't need any more sexual Pinhead awakenings. Pinhead needs to be on TikTok is what you need to do. He is, you goober. 
Oh, yeah, he is. This is 10 out of 10 overall mystery meat sticks, by the way. That's a 10 out of 10 overall pinhead. <laughs> I would bang pinhead. So anyways, let's discuss the next albums we are reviewing for the coming week. Yeah. I will go first, actually. I am going to be suggesting Sci-Fi Crimes by Chevelle. And uh, what are you doing, Ruben? Yeah. I'm doing How to Let Go by Norwegian singer-songwriter Secret. Alright, and I have, uh, <clears throat> Hooray for Boobies! By, uh, <laughs> the Bloodhound Gang. <laughs> it's a masterpiece. Yeah, it's, it's it's pretty high intellectual content. Yeah, you, you won't get it. Yeah, and I'm gonna have to censor the fucking album art bit. Don't worry about that. Oh, you- don't worry, I have more album art for you so to censor later. Woohoo! Alright, so if you like the video, uh, please subscribe, give a like. I think it's been 20 fucking years since I've actually said that. Yeah, you know, you're laughing on your job. Yeah. yeah. I know you're the editor and you produce the videos, but you need to fucking be on top of that shit. Because neither one of us are going to remember care. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. And uh, we will see you guys next week. Yeah. Barney's coming. No, no, no more Barney.